we have comp training 9.30 a.m. every day, Monday to Friday. So if it's 9.30 and I see someone's not here, bro, like I'm the guy who's on the phone calling that guy at 9.30 a.m. Like, where are you at, man? Like, And I'll call the other person like, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? I'll make sure. Because uh, I remember when I first started going to Toledo every day, I had to wake up at 6 a.m., drive an hour and a half. We would train. I would drive back. I would go to work. And then I would train again at night. And sometimes, bro, when you wake up at 6 a.m., you're like, fuck, I don't want to cross the border today. But I would get, like, a text from Dante that's just, like, you training. And sometimes when you get a text from, like, a high-level guy, bro, you're just like, you know, I wasn't going to train, but now I feel like I have to. So in my head, it's like I feel like if I just give it a little, a little gentle nudge, you know what I'm saying? It's a little gentle nudge. I can get guys to show up when they otherwise wouldn't. You seem like the, I'll go there and drag you out myself. Yeah, it's like borderline harassment, honestly, dude. Ladies and gents, it is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcast with Rafa Sparza coming to you with another great episode of the Grappling Hour. How are you doing today? Not important. What I can tell you is this. We got a few things to get through. First and foremost, great guest. Hold on. Not talking about him yet. Got to talk about business. If you guys aren't following us, it would mean a lot to me if you would support us and the Grappling Hour community by going over to high.page backslash grappling hour. For just five bucks a month, you can see these interviews 30 days before anybody else. And I know what kind of society we live in. It's an instant gratification society, which means you don't want to wait 30 days. So why not just pay the $5? And even if you really can wait the $5 kind of waiting period, why not just support the show? Be a friend of the show because your support helps to make interviews like this happen and allows us to go travel, wink, and do other programs on the road. Also, join our Discord. Our Discord is a natural extension of the conversations that we have here, but they're with you guys, and you guys dictate that and tell me what you want to see here, and potentially sometimes even throw questions at the guests. And again, like, comment, and subscribe. All right, about our guest. Our guest had the audacity to win two titles with the finishers organization. And then you would say, that's enough. My man is too greedy. Two titles, too much. No, 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 no. It's not not for him. He decides at one event to defend both titles. At which point I say to thee, sir, have some dignity and leave some room for the rest of the competitors. But he's been a beast. He has been continuously competing. I'm sure you guys are seeing him out there on the grind. You can catch him regularly at just about any competition. I'm pretty sure if there is a competition, this dude is going to be on it. Even by the time we finish this interview or you guys see it, he'll probably have competed at two or three other events. So for all those reasons and more, and to kind of roast his general nice Canadianness, I decided to bring on for the very first time, one Max Hansen. Max, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, bro. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. 
Well, of course, of course. It is a pleasure to meet you in person. I guess I have to ask the question, why two title defenses? Why not just kind of drag this out? Like, you don't have to put both on the line on the same day. So, yeah, that's a good question, man. Uh, I honestly have a philosophy with competitions. Like, whenever uh, I don't like going to a competition thinking that I'm just going to, like, I'm going to destroy everyone and I'm, I'm going to win. Otherwise, I shouldn't even compete in the first place. I want to go in with, like, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of anxiety. Like, so with this one and the finishers, I've been competing in so many EDI events, whether it's Midwest finishers, Sapatero finishers on the east coast like the, the one i just did that uh for me it was just like okay one fight i could do that but i've been doing that so much like let's just get the two fights and see like it's kind of like a good challenge to myself because after you win the one title you get like kind of this high and then you, you still have to stay focused the whole time so for me it was more just like a personal challenge if i can uh stay focused that whole time and not really get off task even if i if i got one you know really cool finish you know, the last thing I would want is to kind of get out of that headspace and then get starched in the second match. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, no one really cares that you won the first match. So it's just kind of like a personal challenge thing. I think you should only compete if you think there's a good chance it might not work out for you. That's fair. That's a, a very interesting approach. But it also begs the question, like, what if something happens on the first match and the other dude's like, hey, man, um... So do you forfeit? Because I would tell you how I would be. The ultimate heel version of me is like, well, he can't compete. That title is now mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, yeah, if something happened, I would have, I would have had to forfeit, but, uh, I was pretty adamant that I wasn't going to get hurt or anything crazy like that. With my jujitsu, I try to train and roll and compete in such a way where keeping my body pretty safe. So, even if I lose or get tapped out, I, I don't think that I don't think I'm gonna come out with an injury unless I'm just being stupid and I eat like a fucking ankle lock or something and let my shit break. <laughs> but usually I'm pretty good about that at this point. I think that just reinforces my thought that you would show up hobbling to your next match and just be like, "Yeah, it's fine." Yeah, I mean it's the nature of the sport, bro. You can eat a few ankle pops, bro. You can eat a few ankle pops. Yeah, it's, the knee's a little different, but an ankle you should be good. I love that this sport convinces us that things that go snap are just like, nah, eh, it's fine. Yeah, it's all good. That's a, that's old me problem. That's a, that's like, a, that's a problem for me 20 years down the line. Old Max <laughs> is going to be like, fuck you, young Max. Fuck you. Well, as someone who's probably twice your age, uh, as ghost of Christmas future, I can tell you, uh, it does not get better. And, no, uh, no, no. There are some random days. Uh, so a, a recurring joke we've been going over. I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, but I recently I recently had a competition where somebody uh, E Honda darted and shot in on me and we hit right. the table, but I didn't go through the table. And so at first I was really disappointed and then I was mad because we didn't have a good angle on it. And then... I got like what I called the old person injury, which is like when I my like hip hit the ground, I got like glutes that were like flaring at that time. And they're like, Do yeah, you want to keep yeah. going? And I was like, fuck yeah. Well, dude, I didn't do that for nothing. So now we're there. So yeah, when you're like, you know, injuries, they come and go. And I'm like, yeah, pretty, pretty shittily though. 
that when somebody's asking like what's wrong with you i go just being old like yeah I'm functionally fine this just sucks and yeah we're gonna keep going because this dude was a dick and tried to take me down so fuck this guy so yeah, uh, yeah exactly in the moment the guy- you want to keep going what's that in the moment you're gonna keep going but you're gonna feel that shit later bro for sure here's what uh exactly happened uh the ref asks are you good can you keep going i was like fuck yeah we're fine we're fine then like a minute like the match and the adrenaline wears off they're like ref how are you feeling i was like my ass oh god (laughs) they're just laughing at me and i go yeah so uh i've been you know a couple of guys have been roasting me about that uh back at my gym and I've laughed profusely because I'm like, yeah, dude, I mean, sometimes shit happens. So it is what it is. I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, both of those matches, because I'd like for you to describe in case our viewers didn't see it. I'd like you to tell them what happened and which weight classes, because what you're a buck 55 when you're competing normally, correct? So, yeah, I walk around at like 163. So I'm kind of in between 155 and 170. And the thing is. I don't know why jiu-jitsu athletes, uh, I think they should just take the weight cuts more seriously and the nutritional fact more seriously. Because, for example, my coach, Dante Leon, he fought Ethan Carlison on who's number one. It's the day before weigh-in. So, realistically, you could actually cut 10 to 15 pounds, especially with like an IV rehydration, quite easily and with no ill effects. So, I did MMA before jiu-jitsu, and that was just kind of always in my head like if it's a day before weigh-in bro i'm cutting like 10 15 pounds easy for this it was man it was like a seven pound cut so that that's like uh that's a walk in the park for me man that's just a water load and like one sauna session i'm on weight day before so that's kind of easy so yeah Yeah. then uh, um you want me to go into the match with sid first like that was the first one the 155 yeah I also do want to comment on this. You're in that sweet spot, though, man, that 163, because yeah. you, you can live amongst both creatures at that point. Like, that's a really good place to be, because the big complaint about competing at the 170, if you're at 163, is that these guys are going to feel heavier than you. So you don't want to give them that advantage. But you and I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm just going out on a limb here. Your I don't give a fuck demeanor just seems to exude. That's eh, fine. Sure. Yeah, it, it is honestly fine. When I first uh, started training in Toledo with Dante, like a lot, when I was driving for, I would drive from Canada every day, bro, like hour and a half there, hour and a half back every day. It was me, Dante, uh, Brad Schneider, who was really, really good, man. Like best crucifix in the world. Actually, best crucifix of all time in jiu-jitsu, in my opinion. If you're just going by the the stats, buddy, on paper has like 180 crucifix submissions, so he's a beast. But he's like six five, and then the other training partner was uh, we call him Big Dan, so it's in the name. <laughs> he's he was giant. He was like two forty five, six four. So I was training with Dante Leone, who's pound for pound. You know, this, he's the strongest dude in jujitsu, pound for pound, easily. He's fucking squatting five hundred pounds at one seventy, right? So I'm training with him brad and dante no no sorry him brad and dan and i was the smallest dude this time at that time i was like 150 so it didn't really matter to me bro in that room every day i'm fighting giants and guys who are really really strong so whenever i compete i've never really felt that someone was stronger than me especially uh 
even in absolutes, I never feel like the when I do absolute divisions. Because before the finishers, actually, I was in Mississippi, and I did an absolute bracket, and I ended up winning the Summit Grappling Championship belt literally the week before. The big guys, they just feel big. They don't feel strong. It's just like you're a little bit fatter than me. That's all there really is to it. Yes, of course. When you're training with those monsters, it is, I'm sure, super easy and, and very cool to get those experiences in. So that is all the more reason why I wanted to know. Yeah, walk me through your very first match uh, because then I can maybe ask a couple questions based off of that from what I observed in that competition with you. Okay, so with Sid, uh, in my mind, I knew this kid's actually uh, fairly slick if you're, if you're playing a very loose game, though. So the thing with me going into this, I've been working on my passing a lot the last three weeks. I, I just knew that the kid was going to be going for uh, like bucky chokes when I passed him and stuff like that. I was pretty confident that he can't leg lock me or even get into my legs. I think uh, I think when I first started off and competing a lot, my leg lock defense was garbage. But over the past two years, I don't think there's many people who could who could threaten the legs, right? I think after my loss against Jeremy Skinner, I really uh, put a nail on that coffin with my uh, leg lock defense. So I wasn't worried about that. So once the mass match started, just basically he let me right into the split squat, which is, that's a money position for me. Uh, so I began cooking him, cooking him, cooking him, basically cycling through the system I have. Uh, they're going to over back passing, using V grips and high stepping stuff like this. And, once I was able to pass the guard a few times, I knew that the kid was going to be in trouble. He did a very good job, though, staying very calm, keeping very good frames. It's just the thing was he wasn't able to get any offense off. So if you aren't able to get offense off, eventually I'm, I'm going to be able to kind of just enter into what I want when it comes to the submission factor. And that's exactly what happened. I was able to uh, just take a scoop grip from that knee shield position because I had already passed his guard with a... Uh, uh, three of my favorite passes and the last thing i like to do from that knee shield is start to enter into the leg so he was already thinking about how to defend those passes right so he kind of opened himself up into getting the legs fairly easily and that's not his fault it was just he was he was doing what he was supposed to do right he was doing what he was supposed to do he was doing it very well but you know it's the whole dilemma game him defending the passes that i wanted to go for opened up an opportunity to get into the legs and i was able to get into the legs and I'm pretty tight with the fit. If I can get to the cross ashy position, that's a, I'm going to say nine out of 10 times. I'm going to finish you honestly. So it's uh, and that's exactly what happened. Let me ask this because I thought that was a pretty dope match. And you know, it, it's one thing when I have my eye on you and I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, he's, he's performing as well as I thought he would, but man, it, it's also incredibly fun. So you were mentioning you had the system did this go to game plan for you and follow up on that? What surprised you about what he was throwing at you? Uh, honestly, no, I think it went exactly how I thought it would go. Uh, the one thing I was worried about was the buggy chokes. Cause I know one time I, at finishers, I got caught by J rod. I hopped up a weight class to fight him. Cause they were like, you want to fight J rod? I'm like, yeah, like it's crazy. Of course I want to fight J rod. I was a Brown belt at the time. Still pretty fresh. And it was a good match. And then he caught me in that buggy choke, but I was ready for Sid this time. I was ready for the buggy chokes and all that. Just with how I adjusted my passing. The one thing that surprised me is that he wasn't trying to end. He wasn't being like versatile enough with the legs. 
I think he could have. Uh, I think he should have had more confident confidence entering into the legs and not letting me sit in that split squat position. I think that was a huge mistake on his part, and it just made uh, the match a lot easier for me than I thought it would uh, go. Honestly. Well, you say that, but then your next match is shorter than that. So that's got to feel pretty dope because in my head, I'm thinking, all right, cool. This might take a minute. I might have to do some work here. And then to have a, a shorter version of a match going in next, that's got to be pretty dope as well. Yeah, that was sweet. I knew, well, Sid is very talented. I knew he was going to be, and again, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody, but I knew that Sid was was most likely going to be the tougher match against Zach. He actually, uh, he actually did very good things from the bottom right off the bat, just how he was holding his guard. For example, when you're in the bottom reverse De La Hiba, Sid wasn't doing anything to stop me from getting my inside knee to the floor, which is, again, that's a huge mistake. You can put so much pressure on somebody. Whereas Zach right away would put his elbow under his knee, which allows uh, him to basically stop me from coming forward. So as soon as I seen that, I decided that I was going to sit back and enter into my guard instead of wasting time trying to pass. And I think, uh, I think the only reason it was shorter is because I was able to play my guard right off the bat. And I think my guard is more, uh, honestly, my guard's more dangerous than my top game at this point. I think I'm pretty well-rounded. I try to be well-rounded. This is what my coach Dante has taught me that you have to be good everywhere, right? You can't just be, a one trick pony or you're going to have like these stalling matches and shit. So I think the only reason they're shorter is because I was able to go into my guard. If Sid had decided to opt to play on top, uh, I think the, the match would have been similar to the Zach match, but Zach was actually doing a very good job defending a, a single X and X guard. He was doing the right things. I think he just caught, he got caught off balance when I switched sides and kind of ended up getting uh Put right into uh, the cross Ashley right away. And like I was saying, if I can get there, I'm finishing someone nine times out of 10. No, I definitely saw that. And uh, it was kind of weird because uh, it, a lot of us have rolled with somebody where once you get locked into that position, you kind of know like, all right, we might be in the end game here. Like we've got to work yeah. very, very diligently. And I thought I saw that from Zach where I was like, you know what? He's not doing anything stupid. He just might be stuck here. So when he was kind of, putting on time, your first thought is, well, this is good. He's still in the fight, but you don't love his odds. So when I was yeah. watching it, I was kind of like, oh. Yeah, you don't right. want to be there early, bro, when no one's sweating and like everyone's dry. It's, it's going to be easy to catch the heel and you can't roll out or anything like that. So exactly what I want to ask this because this upsets me that you could enter into your guard and that your guard was so good. What do you attribute to making your guard so good. I ask this as somebody who is right now in a very heavy guard phase and, and trying to improve that because, you know, I'm, I'm used to being the guy who's passing on top and I've had some right. matches where I was like, you know what? I think one of my matches exposed, like I could be better from uh, working from guard. So what did you do to focus to get so much better there? Uh, so I think the reason my guard's so good is because Dude, I have to train with Dante every day. We're like each other's main training partners. Uh, we train with one another more than anybody. And usually when we're training, it's him on top and I'm, I'm playing the guard position. And <laughs> to keep this guy off me, bro, like he's a savage, bro. So I got to like uh, every day, 
I'll finish, I'll finish the training session for the day and I'll go home and I have to write a bunch of notes and stuff like, Hey, he was doing this, 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 that I have to, I had to basically do something new every single day because he would do, he would add something every single day. Right. So I was just thinking in my head, like, fuck, if I'm not coming every day with something new from my guard, like I'm just going to get absolutely slaughtered in the training room. And that's the last thing I wanted to happen. So I think there's years of playing on the bottom against, uh, Oh, well, honestly, he's, he's number one at 155 now, literally the best in the world. Uh, that that heavily attributed to just me being able to play a, 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 or develop a strong guard game is basically if someone's if someone's strength is, is their top game in passing and you want to get good at, at the guard, you should probably try to train with that person, right? It's just like if you're training with like a really good wrestler, I don't think you should pull guard against a wrestler or anything like this in training. That's a waste of time. Even if you're shit at wrestling, you should stand up and wrestle against that guy. If they've got a really good guard, you should probably try to get on top and pass that guard instead of like trying to do like a butt scoot war with them. In the training room, basically just trying to fight against someone's strength. But I honestly I attribute it to having to fight Dante every day, bro. It, it definitely made my guard really, really good. Cool. So just get Dante Leon to come train with me every yeah, day. Yeah, very simple, right? Just get the best in the world to beat your ass every day. Sounds easy. They're pretty good. Also, and I'll put him on blast uh, verbally on here. Tell your boy to get in touch with me because he's he's trying to play hard to get right now. And I want to make yeah. it very clear. I want to bring him on the show to interview him because I haven't talked to him yet. But right. He is yet to come on. So if you could kindly pass on the, you're not a Kardashian. This shouldn't be this hard to book. Okay. I'll, I'll let him know, it. man. Yeah. He's just a busy dude, bro. He's a, he is a busy man. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not busy enough to pass your guard for an hour straight. I know that now for <laughs> sure. So he can cut out a few minutes to come say hello. I just want to let you know that, uh, it is very funny because in the history of this show, he has been the hardest to book. Yeah, man. And <laughs> he likes uh, to keep himself. Yeah. He like, he doesn't like doing the, the interviews part of jujitsu and all that stuff. Oh, nobody gives a shit. You learn how to do it. Tom <laughs> Brady doesn't just go off the field. He has to talk to people afterwards. So I just want to be that person to make the sport a little more professional, but I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. But please pass and on I, my. I appreciate what you're doing too, man. What you're doing is awesome for the sport, bro. Seriously. Well, thank I, you. I thank you. Nah, nah, nah. All right. All right. This isn't about me. Let's get back to you. All right. All so right. here's what I want to say. I see those two title defenses. You didn't spend more than 10 minutes on the mat. And when I look at that, I go, man, two title defenses in what? Under about eight minutes or so. It's yeah. really impressive. But do they then start thinking like, hey, man. Oh no! You you think about a third title? You think? Uh... Actually, yeah. Actually, I already I already messaged the guy. I said I wanted to fight for the 185 title, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I definitely would like to fight for the 185 uh, pound title because the person who holds it now is someone I fought in the past, and it was a very close match, and I was underweight in that division. So I think, yeah, I think I'm going to have a very good chance style matchup wise against someone like that. Just seeing how he fights and stuff and how his overtime is. So you'll see a triple crown in the future, bro. 
listen, man, I've already got the champ champ on here. You're trying to do something Conor McGregor didn't even do here, my man. So you're, yeah. you're, you was that part of the motivation? Because I know when you were doing Who's Next, you were dropping this line of like, yeah, when I w- was watching Conor McGregor, uh, you know, I kind of got hyped and wanted to do this. And lo and behold, here you are holding two title belts. And I started thinking to myself, I was like, well, I wonder if that was part of the motivation behind doing that. Maybe a champ champ's always a cool title to have, bro. I'm a, I'm actually uh I'm a two time champ in Midwest finishers, Sapatero, and now finishers as well. So I again I'm in that sweet spot where I can do the both divisions. So it's like why the hell not? It's, it's not even a lot of weight I'm giving up. If you give up like thirty pounds, then it's a problem. Then that's a problem. But the I'm at one sixty three, so it's no big deal. I mean, kudos to you. I I have definitely competed against people who are 30 pounds plus heavier than me and been like, this was a choice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think Keenan Cornelius has a uh, quotation where he's like, yeah, jiu-jitsu works until about 30 extra pounds. He's like, after 30 pounds, eh, results may vary kind of a thing. And I go, you know what? That's yeah. pretty true. I, I kind of feel that one a lot. Yeah, dude, I've had that experience. One time we were in Charleston for an IBJJF Open, and I ended up winning my uh, my division, and then I entered the Absolute. And at this point in time, I was never afraid to do Absolutes, but I fought a guy whose nickname is Sasquatch, dude. So think about that. His name is Sasquatch. And I was, I was 162 going into this, bro. And I thought I was going to be fine because I've leg-locked really big guys before, but I just, like, I weaved my foot in front of his chest for a second and he just grabbed in a steam lock and fucking ripped it, bro. And I was like, tap, 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 tap. And I was like doing somersaults in the mat, like in pain and shit. And I remember I, after that, I was like, I'm not doing absolute for a bit because that fucking, that shit hurt. It wasn't, and again, the guy's good, but it was just like, dude, I just feel like I just got gripped and ripped by someone who's just so much bigger. And that hurts, bro. When someone's bigger than you and they break you, it's it's way different than getting popped by someone the same size. Like a big guy breaking your shit hurts like a motherfucker. Well, I always feel like if a big guy breaks you, it's almost like you just fought Thanos and you've got to go back to like your headquarters with the Avengers and they're like, How the fuck yeah. do we do this? This is a pretty big guy. Yeah. Like and I always tell people, I'm like, I think people in your own weight class we get this thing in our head where we go, oh, I can get that back. Like, we'll see each other again. Like, oh, okay. There's the probability is pretty high of you guys having a match again. These kind of weird absolute matches are ones that you go, I don't know that I'm going to see that dude again because I'm definitely not that big. I don't think I will ever fight him again. (laughs) He's so big, bro. (laughs) Like 300 pounds, bro. Just ripped my shit off. Yeah. Good to know. All right. So we figured out how to get better at playing guard and how to beat you is to just be that dude, that big and, and grip and rip. So uh, we've yeah, learned a lot so far, Max. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Educational podcast so far, man. Hey, listen, this is, this is how I do my tax write off. So yes, as long as we keep this informational and educational, uh, my tax accountant is like, what are you producing? Like Sesame street for grapplers. And I'm like, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, we're just teaching out here. Grip and ripping works. I mean, grip and rip is the new meta in jujitsu, bro. Uh, so many guys are just doing the Aoki locks now and just ripping them. So I think it's like the meta. 
Understood. Thank you. I'm very glad that you're also giving us a report from the streets, which is like, hey, hey, uh, grip and rip is all the rage right now, Rafa. I don't think <laughs> you're seeing it out, out where you're at on the sidelines. It's happening on the streets. Yeah, that's the new thing, bro. It's the new thing. Well, thank you for that educational part. I do want to get to your life story, sir. So we alluded to you watching Conor McGregor, but I'd love to know where martial arts find its way into your life. Okay, so I remember I first tried jujitsu when I was 12 for like two weeks, and I liked it a lot. But honestly, I always thought when even I know it's weird, but I was a Canadian. I never played hockey or anything. I was huge into football. I did football for like eight years. So after trying jujitsu for like two weeks, I quit because I'm in my head. I'm like, I'm going to be in the NFL. Like, honest to God, I believed I was going to be in the NFL. But then I made it to uh, I turned 15. And I'm like, fuck, I'm five, five. I'm not making it to the NFL. <laughs> I grew a little. I'm five nine now, but it was just like at the time, it was just like I'm not making it to the NFL. So once I hit about fifteen, I stopped playing football, and I was like, I always just like the idea of martial arts in general, or like you have two skilled people going against each other in a fight, right? Like I would always see it in TV shows, like in, like in Avatar: Last Airbender, you had Aang versus the Fire Lord fucking neo versus smith in the third movie like that last duel where all the smiths are watching and shit like that that stuff to me that's awesome it's just like one-on-one it's just you and the other guy like that's like that's like the purest competition could be is a is a fight or a duel or something like that so i definitely wanted to get involved into that and so i joined jujitsu and eventually very quickly i started doing mma I had a few MMA fights, uh, a kickboxing fight, but uh, eventually I decided just to do jiu-jitsu because I had placed at Worlds after training with Dante for literally like only three months, and I was like, shit, I could just make money not getting my uh, my brain squished to pieces, right? So I was just, I decided to do jiu-jitsu instead, m- mainly because I didn't want to destroy my brain. Like, I already knew my body was going to be fucked up, but... If I'm old and my brain still works, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. It's a good approach. Uh, so I'm glad that you ended up coming our way. I do like to ask people this. Do you remember your first class, though? We'll get to your association with Dante a little bit yeah. later. But do you have a vivid memory of your first day in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I do, actually. So I remember they taught a scissor sweep from guard. And uh, the kid who got – who uh, basically one of my uh, friends who was a student at the high school I went to, he – He's like, yeah, come on by, because I was looking to get into stuff, and I was already interested in doing martial arts. So I went with him. He was my partner. You know how it is. Like, they're showing you the ropes. They show you the technique and all that stuff. And it went to the rolling portion. He's like, okay, we're going to roll now. And I think he was, like, going to go easy for a second. And we shook hands. And the only thing I knew was the scissor sweep, because that's where we were drilling the entire time. I literally just grabbed his sleeping collar and hit him with the scissor sweep straight to mount. In like like the first ten seconds, and I was like, "Oh fuck, this shit actually works!" <laughs> and so after that, I was hooked. And yeah, so after that, I was definitely hooked because I, I found out that it worked right away. So in my head, I'm like, "I have to keep learning this stuff, man. This is crazy." Like I just swept this guy; he's been training a long time, and boom, I hit him right away. So after that, I was like, "Yeah, I gotta keep doing jujitsu. Gotta keep doing jujitsu." There's another part of your backstory that says you almost ended up doing Kung Fu. And to me, I think that's kind of wild because somehow I can understand the MMA stuff 
and and being uh, persuaded to do that. And we'll get to that in a second. And I can understand the NFL stuff for you. And just based off of what I know, I'm not sure I see Kung Fu in your trajectory, but I also didn't know you then. So what was that about? And, and how did you almost get into that? Well, I didn't know what really worked. And again, I was really into the show Avatar The Last Airbender. And I was doing some research on the show and I found out that uh I found out that all like the animation and stuff was based off uh, uh different styles of kung fu. Like the fire bending was a di- one style, the earth bending was one style, air bending was one style. So I was like, dude, I wanna be fucking Aang. So I was looking up Aang's style of uh I think it was like Bao Show or something. I could be wrong. Probably wrong on that. But I was like, I was really close to walking in the Kung Fu gym. But everyone online said that if you're going to do a martial art that actually works, you should do jujitsu. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to try jujitsu first, bro. But I was I was really close to doing Kung Fu just because I was trying to be Ang back in the day. All right. All right, nerd. I see what's going on now. (laughs) I do have some news for you that may be interesting and do with this what you please. Okay, let's hear it. I happen to know of the director, one of the main directors of Avatar. Now, I never watched Oh, really? Come on. He's a normal person. And I assure you, this dude is as chill and as good as they come. However, uh, he, maybe you don't know this, he uh, he did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a very long time. And in fact, every time he and I run into each other, uh, like I'm always trying to tell him like, Hey man, come train. Like it would be dope. And he's at an age. He likes to pretend like he's like so old. This dude's in better shape than me. We'll put that out there. And he likes to put it out there. He's like, Oh no, man, I'd get wrecked. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think you on your off day will still wreck me, but I hope you understand. I'm not like the Max Hansons of the world. I'm, if you roll with me, it's a choose your own adventure. If you're going yeah. chill, I go chill. If you want to go hard, I may not be able to meet you, but I will dial it up. So I just tell people that's what it is. So uh, I did see him recently, and he came up to me, and he was like, hey, man, I, uh, we for the last project I was working on, uh, one of the guys, he, uh, he got us to go train again. So we're rolling in the garage, and I just told him, I was like, dude, I'm so happy for you. Like, I know you're not going to take me up on coming to roll because I think you think I want to fuck you up, but I just want to train with you. And I just told him, I was like, but if that's the case, dude, keep training, do whatever you're doing. That makes me so happy to hear you're back on the mats. So yeah, uh, yeah he's a incredibly nice dude, but here's the story you may not know. I think if you look in the credits, they actually had a consultant and the consultant was Mac Danzing of the UFC of the Ultimate okay. Fighter fame. Are you serious? Yes. Damn, and what damn, he I did was, he, so Mac was a friend of his that he basically said, he's like, oh yeah, we got him to be a consultant on the show because I would go up to him and be like, would this fight sequence look like this? And he would give me notes and we would uh, switch some of our animation based off and around that. So uh, yeah. That dude is a quality human being, and he's gone on to even bigger success uh, recently, especially. But I hope that you should know that maybe you didn't know it at the time, and maybe you were feeling Kung Fu was it. 
But there was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu influence right then and there for you, sir. And Danzig, too, bro. I didn't know that at all. That's fucking crazy. He's like a true OG of uh, the UFC, man. Absolutely. And uh, we actually, we ended up getting in touch with Mac uh, for Verbal Tap years ago, and he came on the show. And the dude's as nice as they come. Uh, He he went out of his way to, like, message us a few times just, like, after interviews. Because here's the way this goes, and I should tell you this. Sometimes when you do these interviews, people just go on, they go their own way. But a bulk of our people that we've interviewed over the time, especially when we do the video versions, they become friends with us and, you know, they're friendly. And so if we see each other, it's always a hi or, hey, come train kind of a thing. Mac, for no reason at all, was just always like, hey, man, how are things going? And uh, he knew we had that mutual contact. And he was like, dude, how's he doing? I was like, oh, he's great, man. How are you? And he's like, dude, great. Never had to do anything for that. But that's quite a, the the quality human being that he was. And I was like, yo, he's not just yeah. somebody we interviewed. He's like actually uh, somebody who was friendly with us. So uh, I very much miss that guy because he's now up north uh, from us out here in California. But such a nice quality human being. That's sweet, man. That's sweet. Yeah, it's good to find the good people in martial arts because – a lot of people like to say that, uh, you know, like, oh, you can't be an asshole if you do jujitsu, but that's like not true at all. <laughs> There's like actually way more assholes than there is nice guys in my, in my experience anyways. I can tell you this. <clears throat> I can tell you that in our sport, I think it's not as clear as nice or good or bad. I think what ends up happening is you have people who have differing expectations, goals, wants, needs. So sometimes they just don't align. So there are some people that like we do an interview with and I'm like, I don't think this person likes us. All good. Peace be on you. Enjoy your day. But for the most part, most people are pretty uh, excited to like chat about their experience or to discuss what like geek out over certain jujitsu techniques. So there's a shared commonality. I just don't assume that. I just go, hey, if we're going to be cool, we're going to be cool. But uh, I do have a premium in our sport of this, which is if you win something and you do something where you win like twice in a weekend, there should be somebody interviewing you. And I know the finishers do an excellent job. Their commentary is usually great. Big J is usually with them. Zach's a sweetheart. Like they're good people. But it infuriates me that there's not an Ariel Hawani show, thus the grappling hour. Uh, where people like interview the week after and they're like, Hey, on a Tuesday, you better expect a call or a message from me that says, we're going to talk about that cool event. So that's what we try to do here uh, so that people can do that. Cause I see a lot of people will do podcasts and interviews, but they're not topical. They just go like, Hey man, let's just chat for three hours about like, you know, like stuff and philosophy and see what happens. Yeah. Some of the podcasts out there are just crazy, bro. It's crazy, man. Three hours of nothing, basically. I mean, listen, dude, I've definitely had long episodes, and I'm sure some people will say at some point this is boring to them, but I can guarantee you at least it has a format and a style and uh, a recency that we try to do that other people don't do. But having said that, I want to return back to love of grappling. We ask this of all of our guests, and it's really important to me to get a sense of you, where you come from, and where you love the sport, because it's one thing to just do jiu-jitsu, but when did you actually fall in love with it? And you're somebody who's doing it as a profession now at a pro level, so you have to have some sort of moment where you go, yes, yeah, this isn't just a hobby. 
do you have a vivid memory of when you started to fall in love with the sport? Like when I decided basically that I wanted to do this, like for real, essentially. I mean, there's definitely that. I think they're almost two different questions because there's definitely the business side of you that says like, yeah, this is going to be my career. But before it can even become a business or something that intense, there has to be a moment where you go, I don't know, maybe I am going to do jujitsu as a career. Okay, so I think it was, uh, I don't know. So essentially, I never had like the best home life as a kid or anything like that. And I didn't really like anyone in my high school. It wasn't that like people were like dicks to me or because I never got bullied or anything like that. But I just felt like I couldn't relate to anybody in my high school. And again, the home life wasn't great. So jujitsu, on top of me really enjoying rolling and learning and improving every day, uh, just like I just remember just going in there. And anytime I would just go in the changing room, as soon as I would like tie my belt and had my key on, like I just felt like all the stress and anxiety in my life would just wipe away because now I could just do jujitsu then. And so I think it like within a year of doing it in my head, I was like, I- I'm going to keep doing this shit till I die. Cause the amount of, uh, I don't know, just like the, the happiness I would get just from tying the belt on my key in that changing room, knowing I get to do two hours of jujitsu now and, like I, I can just truly enjoy myself and be comfortable uh, in the environment and just be who I am, right? Then that that's all good to me, man. Like that's amazing. Like the environment of that gym was very, very good. Everyone was friendly with each other. Everyone was friends. Like there, there was very little drama. Like everyone was there just to hang out and train. So for me, I would say within a year, like I knew I wanted to do it the rest of my life. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you started to feel uh, anxiety kind of go away. You started to feel more confident and more able to relate to people when you were tying a belt around your gi. I don't see a belt around your gi a lot these days. So is it still doing the same thing for you or did it modify and how did it modify over the years, especially if you aren't necessarily in a gi, dash gi every single day? Well, 2019, uh, basically, uh, I was still training in the gi and no gi with uh, at Adamus with Dante and all them. And the thing is with the gi, after COVID had hit, it just became so obviously apparent that you could not make money in jiu-jitsu uh, being in the gi. Unless you're like literally the, the number one guy, you can't make money if you're in the gi, right? So I, I just made the obvious choice, like I have to do no gi. And I always enjoyed Nogi more just because it was much faster paced and I felt like I could go to different positions more quickly and I could also beat guys who were bigger than me. Because in the Gi, I know some people tell me like, oh, I think I could beat guys in the who are bigger than me in the Gi better. But for me, I did not have that experience. I feel like they can just get grips and hold me down and I didn't enjoy that. Also, the finger pain waking up was kind of shitty. Like I couldn't even close my hand waking up in the morning bro is terrible and now my fingers feel great i don't have that fucking you know i don't have arthritis coming on me at the age of 25 anymore (laughs) like i I just feel much better doing no gi i think it's like way better on the body so i would say 2019 after covid hit and i think everyone after that adcc really wanted to do no gi like everyone was in the garages to basically just drilling fucking uh, dvds and shit with their buddies and you can really do that with the geek because there was no DVD scene 
there was no ADCC for the gi, essentially. So in my mind, it was like, I'm doing no gi now, for sure. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. When COVID hit, one of my gyms, my gi gym, they were like, hey, let's go to somebody's house and we're going to do classes out of there. And I go, you know what's weird? I can justify going to somebody's garage and rolling in no gi, but I can't justify being at someone's place in pajamas. Yeah, it's weird. And doing that. I was like, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working for me. And I was like, you know, I don't mind training one-on-one with somebody in the gi, but I go, it was the idea of being in a gi at someone's house and then being like, I'm going to break this house. Like, I'm going to be such a klutz. I'm going to like wipe out part of their garage. I'm going to knock something over. Like, I just, I don't want to ruin someone's house. Like at that point it became too, oh shit, don't do anything that bad to their place. But the same thing mostly applies for Nogi, but yet that for whatever reason was like, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll go to their house. Yeah, Nogi, no problem. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we in Canada, I don't know how bad it was. I knew it was not as bad in America because Canada was locked down for like a year and a half after America was already open, bro. And it was there. It would always just be like two or three people in a garage doing Noki. It was fucked. Like I remember even sometimes just going over to my buddies to drill. And while we're drilling, we have the neighbors call the cops on us because they'd recognize that the car wasn't from that neighborhood. So you couldn't go to another person's house. So I was just like, yeah, dude, so there was just, there was no, there was no even uh, opportunity to do a geek class in Canada. There was just like, totally, you couldn't do shit. Like you were lucky if you got one person to drill with you, bro. I remember during these times I would literally be, I'd be knocking on blue belt stores at 8 AM. And like we're drilling, bro. Like just straight up. There's a guy, there's a guy named Gabby. I'm still friends with in Canada. I would literally show up to his house at eight or 9 AM and wake him up just so we could drill and stuff and keep going. Cause to take a year off is it's insanity. If you actually want to do jujitsu, it's, a, it's, it's so long. People get so much better in like, in a month, let alone an entire year. So if you take a whole year off, it's no way, bro. I think no it's very difficult to explain exactly what we do. And I think this was one of the, the worst times to try and explain to people like, Oh, this is what we do in our sport. Yeah. yeah. It's not the best, but like, I think it's another level in itself, despite what anybody thinks of what it is to be snitching on somebody to that degree and that extent, like, to oh, just yeah. be like, uh, hey, um, I want to tell you guys down the street, these guys are wearing belts, pajamas. Let's put them on blast right now. Like, there are yeah. real-world implications. Oh, and especially for you. Yeah. Well, especially for you, who I'm sure at this point in your career, you're feeling like, oh, I'm getting better. Like, I feel like I'm coming into my own as an athlete. I, I really want to put that work in. So I, I know that's got to be frustrating. Uh, was there ever a day that that blue belt though tried telling you like, Hey man, I'm not feeling this today. Like you're a different, oh, yeah, he tried to tell me every day, bro. He tried to tell me every day, but in my head, I was like, no, nah, we're training motherfucker. We're training. Uh, I would have, cause in my head, I was like, I have to do everything I can to, to keep training. Cause the border was closed. So I couldn't get to America. And I, I like you're saying, I was, I was starting to get really good at this point. So there was no way I was slowing down. So I essentially kind of, I was like kidnapping bluebells just to train with me, bro. Straight up. Like, uh, whether they wanted to or not, like I was like, we're doing it, bro. 
Drew. Like, cause it, to me, I was just like, I'm giving, man, I'm giving you like a free private, essentially. Look at all the stuff we can learn. We don't even have to roll, man. Like, we'll just drill. I'll show you some things. Just anything I could just to get Matt time, bro. Just to get a little bit of Matt time, I was doing it. If anybody ever needs any kind of uh, confirmation that jujitsu is a drug, this is definitely it. Like, this is oh. our version of a crack addict being like, hey, man, come on, dude. I need you to just show up and uh, just be on the mats, bro. And people being like, hey, man, I can't do it today. Yeah, you can. Uh, we, we need to do this, man. And be like, oh, no, this, this is an addiction. But it's of the addictions, the better one. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of notorious for that. Uh when it comes to people not showing up for training, like in our, we have comp training 9:30 AM every day, Monday to Friday. So if it's nine 30 and I see someone's not here, bro, like I'm the guy who's on the phone calling that guy at nine 30 AM. Like, where are you at, man? And like, and I'll call the other person. Like, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? I'll make sure. Cause, uh, I remember when I first started going to Toledo every day, I had to wake up at 6 AM drive an hour and a half. We would train, I would drive back, I would go to work, and then I would train again at night. And sometimes, bro, when you wake up at 6 a.m., you're like, fuck, I don't want to cross the border today. But I would get, like, a text from Dante that's just, like, you training. And sometimes when you get a text from, like, a high-level guy, bro, you're just like, you know, I wasn't going to train, but now I feel like I have to. So in my head, it's like I feel like if I just give it a little, a little gentle nudge, you know what I'm saying? It's a little gentle nudge. I can get guys to show up when they otherwise wouldn't. What do you define as gentle nudge? Because we're all different here, and I don't know if you've gathered this about me, but my mouth is usually my best resource. So my skill is roasting our guys in our group until they show up. And then once they do show up, I will roast them until I pass their guard. And I have to say, I think my jiu-jitsu, so-so. Roasting ability probably puts me a notch above where it should be. So what is your approach? Because I got to tell you, after hearing you're knocking on doors during a pandemic, you seem like the, I'll go there and drag you out myself. Yeah, it's like borderline harassment, honestly, dude. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, man. Yeah, I just want them to show up, man. Because if so, man, I, I hate seeing people who have potential and they just don't. Because truly, to get good at jujitsu, the the formula is pretty easy, man. Like I know people say, just show up, but you'd be surprised how many people don't actually even do that. That's like step one is to show up, and to see guys who are more talented than myself not show up, and then they wonder why, you know, they're falling behind in training. It's just like that's the worst thing to me, one hundred percent. Like it's, it, it actually makes me quite upset to see that to see guys who have potential and they waste it because of like, oh, I'm hanging with my girl. Oh, I'm tired. I hate that, man. They just say, like, that's all they really have to say is they're tired. Fuck, you don't even have to train. At least just show up and watch, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of my, my main skill in jiu-jitsu is I, I show up. Now, granted, I got a lot of shit going on. I may not always be exactly on time, but fuck you guys. I'll be there. So I'll tell people, yeah, I'm like, exactly. listen, I want to be here, but I also have grown adult responsibilities. So that means sometimes I'm going to show up a little bit later that's the thing bro it's always the it's always the younger guys who don't have any responsibilities and they don't show up it's like what the fuck are you doing bro i know uh you know joe smo down the street who's working a factory job has kids and a family and he's training seven times a week and what are you doing you know you're playing Fortnite. 
like way too late and then you didn't get enough sleep and that's why you're not showing up or you went out drinking just shit that's just making you worse as a person where you could just come and actually get better when you're young and that's the time to compete right that's the time to actually get better and these guys don't show up i do like to tell people though on occasion uh your instagram stories will dictate how much sympathy i have so if i see you guys were out and about having fun don't try and tell me what you were or were doing like if i see that you were enjoying the club then you better be in the gym the next day yeah yeah exactly man dude i would go man uh me and my buddy uh back in canada when we were driving to uh toledo his name was nico and this is how I knew a lot of people were fucking bitches because this is the thing. Canadians are a little bit, we're built different, okay? If you go out and drink, that's all fine. You can We can still do all the shit that we, we'd be normally doing the next day. And Nico, bro, sometimes he would get fucking hammered the night before, and I would send him that you training text at 6 a.m. And this dude would literally drive across the border with me, hung over as fuck, but still would show up, get his ass beat, but still getting better. And it's just like, I don't, I don't really give a fuck what you do outside of jujitsu. Just like, you can still train it. Like you can still show up. You hung over. Like, I don't care, man. Like just, just get on the mat. Yeah. Maybe you get on the mat hung over and you get your ass beat. Maybe next time you're going to think maybe I won't be hung over next time, bro. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe, well, maybe it's not a good idea to, to drink so much. Right. <laughs> I think that's a good approach. Uh, I tell people all the time. I'm like, if anything, you know, I enjoy my my IPAs, my beers, my alcohol, but if I have to make a choice, I'll usually make the I want to train choice. So it does yeah. take the amount I will have or or don't have. But we do have a segment on the show where I take guests out uh, to a bar, and uh, you know, my favorite thing is always like, yeah, if I do that segment, I don't think I'm training in the morning. I think afternoon is going to be the earliest that I'll do uh, any kind of training. So I, I definitely, rough, what's that? I, it can be rough if you're too hungover. Yeah. But, uh, and I mean, I think everybody's had those one or two experiences, hopefully not more than that, where they like drank a little bit and then they rolled or whatever. And I highly don't recommend it. I think no. that's more of the goon phase for a lot of people. Uh, but yes, I think many of us have done it and, uh, at least once or twice. And I think it's really stupid, uh, saying as somebody who did do it. So don't do yeah. it kids. Yeah, exactly. That's all you need is one or two times. And you're like, I won't drink next time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask this. Okay. Uh, I want to go off of two tangents here. The first is you had mentioned MMA. When did that kind of expire because, or did it expire? I guess I should ask because, it's one thing to do jujitsu, but it's another kind of brain to go, I think I want to fight. And if so, like, what did you do to kind of quell that part of your brain that had that instinct to want to do that? Well, I always wanted to fight. That was like day one doing jujitsu, like literally within a month, I was already doing kickboxing because I wanted to do MMA fights and all of this. Right. So I had two fights and then I had a kickboxing fight and they all went very well. And in my mind, again, it's just like I said, like when I saw how professional things were being run in Toledo when it came to jiu-jitsu, more professional than any MMA gym even that I'd been to, I just saw an avenue for an actual career doing jiu-jitsu, and especially I was having success at Worlds and stuff. I was like, 
I should just do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, man, and save my brain. Like, I still love MMA to this day. Sometimes I'll go in and spar, you know, once in a blue moon. But, uh, like, I still love I, – I love striking. I think it's really, really fun. Honestly, striking to me, I picked up easier than I did Jiu-Jitsu. But still, it's just it, – the stuff on your brain, bro, especially with all the football I played, I, I just don't think it's worth it for me. And if you're not in it for MMA, especially dude, if you're not in it 100% and that you have to, you know, don't kid yourself when you say that you are in a hundred percent, like do not do MMA unless you're diving in the deep end, bro. Cause it's a terrible idea. You're going to, you're going to get a fight against a kid who's been training since they're six, you know, dreaming of that moment. There's zero and zero amateur, but guess what? This kid's been training forever, and they're, they're going to change your life. One knockout will change your life completely. So in my head, as soon as I wasn't 100% in, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing MMA. Because it's, it's just a foolish endeavor to pursue if you're not all in on it. That's what's up. Okay, good. So you are smart. Good. Uh, good to know. Because honestly, <laughs> like that's the right perspective I have. I tell people a couple different mentalities. The first is if you have to fight, I feel that's usually something like I'm not going to tell people to fight or not to fight. I'm a pretty big hobbyist on this side for jujitsu. I don't tell people when to compete. I may encourage them. I may be like, hey, you'd be really good at this. But as somebody who didn't compete for a long time, I'm like, I don't give a fuck, dude. Do what you want. But just know yeah. there are benefits. There are the detractions. So if you know what you do. You make your decisions based off of that. But I do tell a lot of jiu-jitsu and MMA and kickboxing folks or whatever. You just go, hey, listen, if you have that itch and it really is inside of you, you should probably look into it. But if you are, as you're saying, aren't 100% in, don't do it. Like it has no. to be a you go all the way in because if you don't have your why – then you don't have your reason to be late at the gym. You don't have your reason to be doing tape study. You don't have your reason to be doing any kind of weight cut. So you have to figure out what that why is and, and really act upon that. Yeah, exactly. MMA is a whole different animal, man. It should be your life until you're done it. Like truly your life, everything else shouldn't even matter. I want to ask about your association with Dante. Where did that happen? And you keep mentioning these long road trips that I get it. I, I definitely have traveled for good training, but man, an hour and a half, you know, kind of travel that builds up over time. So where did the association happen? And at what point did you know you wanted to start training under him? Okay. So, well, he grew up in Harrow, Ontario, and I grew up in Windsor, which it's, that's all Windsor, Essex County, right? That's it's essentially the same town. He just came from a farm town. And I came up uh, like just 30 minutes north of where he was. So he actually started off as a kid at the gym that I first joined to come see jujitsu. Uh, there's a, literally a photo of a 12 year old Dante on the wall. So I always knew of him and he would come back during the holidays and basically beat the hell out of all of us. And finally, before my, I think it was my second MMA fight, he came down and I trained with him. It was the first time I trained with somebody and I like ran out of jujitsu to use. I was like, shit, I got nothing else. <laughs> I remember I was just sitting my guard. I'm like, I don't even know what to try, bro. Like I, he already read everything I had. So in my head, like that day I messaged him, like, can I come up and train with you? And, uh, after that, it was like, that's all she wrote. I was going up and training with them all the time. Cause in my head, uh, I was still doing MMA at this point, but it was just like, I have to get the best training for everything. Cause I was all in at that point, And it was like, 
okay, well, if I'm running out of jujitsu against this guy, then of course I'm going to go train and learn uh, from him 100%. And again, same, like same townish kind of thing, same first gym. So it kind of like uh, the stars aligned for that. And I know we discussed the idea of you separating yourself from MMA, but you did end up having two amateur and two pro fights, correct? I just had just the two amateur and a kickboxing fight. There we go. Okay. My apologies yeah, on that. Did. But that no, is pretty good. good, man, especially if you were able to do that. That meant that you also forged into kickboxing. So did you scratch that itch? Because here's what I have to ask. It's one thing to say these things out loud, like, I am smart. I won't do MMA, but I've gathered you're kind of a competitor. And as a competitor, there is a different part of your brain that's wired to go, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I could do this. Have you have you satisfied that part of your your brain? Well, it's, it's funny you said that. I, I always told myself that I wouldn't consider doing MMA again until I became a black belt world champion. So until that happens, I won't even consider it. But uh, it's not like totally out of the cards in my future. Maybe, maybe I'll do it when I'm like 30 or something, but I, I don't know. I just really love jujitsu. So, and I, again, if I'm doing something, it has to be all in. I'm not going to, I don't want to half-ass it. I actually want to be good at it. I don't want to waste. I don't want to like look back at whatever I did when, when I'm older and be like, I did that 50% of what I could have really done. You know what I'm saying? So, until I become a black belt world champ, like it's not even going to be a consideration for me. Good for you, man. That's a, that's a very smart and approachable strategy. And dude, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to make it so that people can make more of a living just doing jujitsu. I'm tired of losing yeah. people to MMA. I, if you like this, you should be doing this. And I would love for people to make money doing just this. Because oh, every once in a while, somebody job. makes that announcement where they're like, oh, I'm going to go fight. I'm like, really, fam? Do you need to? Yeah. Yeah. I tell people not even. I'll tell people all the time they shouldn't fight. Like yeah, people will come in the gym and they join and they'll be like, I want to fight. And I'm like, you're not going to fight, dude. Like, it's not happening. Yeah. Like, like if you, I can tell, like, if someone, they come in. Like, it's different if they're a 15-year-old and they never trained before. And, you know, they see they're a little athletic. You're like, okay, maybe there's some potential. But if you're 28 and you're coming in and you've never you, you never wrestled, you didn't box, you didn't kickbox, you didn't do jujitsu, and now you're telling me you wanted to be in the UFC, like shut up, dude! You're not being in the UFC. It's just a dumb thing to do. You're gonna ruin your life. You're gonna straight up ruin your life. Yeah, and again, sometimes it's the harsh truth that people don't want to hear, but I think it's usually said in a way that goes, "Hey, man, I'm trying to preserve you." This isn't yeah. This isn't something I want to say. It's not a dream killer situation that anybody likes doing. We're in a sport yeah. where I think, and you can correct me if you're wrong, that for the most part, even though it's an isolated sport, there is a nice team element of when you find your right tribe and your right team, you know, it's a very encouraging, like, yeah, man, it's hard. But I mean, if you want to show up, you can be with the tribe and you can show up with us and we can go compete together or I got your back when you're doing this and I'll be coaching or I'm filming this. So like there is a supportive element, but we're just not dumb. We're not just trying to let you go out there and hurt yourself. If it's something that we can prevent. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. You'll get hurt so bad. In MMA. Jiu -Jitsu, you can just tap, bro. It's easy. It's as easy as that. Where MMA, it's different here in a cage and it's like, 
Shit's happening real fast, man. And one one head kick, dude. Think about how deadly a fucking head kick is. I've seen dudes at amateur events just get fucking battered. I've seen guys who are like 26 have a, what's it called? A, um, the slur you get when you're like a boxer. And you just start I have to stuttering. Say, if there words. was any time that you were not going to have the words, this was not the best timing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, when people lose their Yeah, when they can't stop. (laughs) shit. Uh Uh-oh, it's happening. I've seen seen some young dudes that that happens to, and I'm like, okay. Like, like, this isn't something to fuck around with, dude. One of my favorite jokes to do is when one of the guys wants to fight, and they say something incredibly stupid, that I go, hey, man, do you already want to lose what you got? Because it's only going to go south. So, like, let's preserve the brain we have right now because, uh, as it is, you just misspelled something. Like, you misspelled wrestling. Like, we can't have yeah. to do with it. You know what I mean? So, whatever yeah. it is that we we tend to joke about over on our side. Well, sir, listen, you've gone a little bit over uh, the amount of time that I did tell you, and I want to be respectful of your time. And, obviously, I'm keeping you from probably competing at the next 20 things that you'll be doing. But I always like to give people an opportunity to shout out their training partners, anybody that they want to acknowledge that's helped them, especially for your finishers run, uh, get prepared. And I want to give you the opportunity to go ahead and shout out any sponsors. So I'm going to put the camera on you, sir. And uh, the floor is yours. Okay, so let me just do a little shout out to my sponsor, Perry Athletics. They were always helping me out. But for all the people in Toledo, Kelly Highmore, Dante Leon, Tim Hunkley, Nilo Bertiner, Brad Schneider, all these guys, Josh Lord, Nicholas Crane, uh, former opponent, but now one of my best training partners, man, a good friend. So shout out to all these guys because it's it's becoming a, a truly world-class team here in Toledo, Ohio. So all respect to them, man. How long did it take you to go from this dude was my opponent to like, yeah, we're tight now? Uh, well, when he first, dude, when he first came here, I'm like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Cause he, the first thing he said is he sat across the table from me and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be the, cause I think he knew in his head that he wasn't going to be better than Dante in a year, but he, like, he was literally looking me in the eyes. Like, I'm going to be the second best guy in the gym by the end of the year. And basically just saying like, I'm going to be better than you at the end of the year. And I'm like, holy fuck, this guy's just coming to like dojo storm. It's crazy. But uh, I would say, like, in a few months, the guy's growing on me, man. He's one of my very good friends, dude, and he's a monster, dude. You'll see more and more of him. He's actually, he's tapped out. as a At 170, he tapped out Heiss and Rita. He's got some huge wins, man, yeah. Like, a lot of people know that. He's, he's the Minnesota maniac on Instagram, so just give him a little shout-out. He's a fucking beast. He's just a little, he's just a little crazy. That's all. He's a- Okay, hold on, hold on. You you were just short of me being like, all right, maybe I'll, I'll pull him on the show at some point. And then the last part of the sentence is, he is kind of insane, certified insane. But yeah, no, great guy. I love him. Oh, yeah, dude. dude the crazy guys are the, the people I love the most, man. 100%. Those are the guys I, I, I fucking rock with. No, I, I mean, I saw Jeff Glover on your, your Instagram, so don't worry. I, I, I know what you're gravitating towards, so... It's all good. Hey, Jeff, shut up. We love you. You know that. Hey, here's what I want to say. I'm going to say bye to you off air, but I want to say thank you so much for coming on, dude. It is a blast to get to know you better. And I always like putting names to faces. So when you're telling me about your Minnesota maniac 
it's weird because I can see the footage of, of uh, Haseem and him, but I don't know him yet. But it's yeah. kind of one of those things where early on when I was seeing you at even trials, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I don't know you personally, but I'm familiar with your work. But this run that you've been on with finishers has been so good. And I know it's extended to Enigma and, and to all these other organizations. You're beating up, you know, Violent Bob Ross in, in a quick amount of time. So we're all watching that shit, man. And, and I hope you know that you're in a really good phase of where you're at. So just keep at it because it is always fun whenever I, I see that you're on a card. So I hope that, you know, the work is constantly improving on your side. Thank you, man. I do really appreciate that. And thank you for having me on your show. You guys do a good job growing jujitsu and everything like that, man. It's perfect for, for the sport. Well, I appreciate you, sir. I'll talk to you off air in just a second, but I'm going to close this bitch up. Uh, Max, thank you so much again, sir. See you guys. All right, you guys, before we get on out of here, a couple quick reminders. First and foremost, like, share, comment, subscribe, anything you want to do, put it in the comments. Even if you have nothing to say, here's what you can do. You can say, uh, Max is the best at blank. I'd be surprised if you didn't say jujitsu, but let's say he's really good at Scrabble. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he is, but you can tell me what he's best at. Even if you tuned out 90% of that interview, go ahead and put that because that helps us get more engagement. Dose. If you haven't become a member already, you can become a member of the Grappling Hour community over at high.page backslash Grappling Hour for five bucks a month. See these interviews 30 days before anybody else. And for a few extra dollars, you can see extra bonus content that's not available anywhere else. We're talking extra episodes where we're doing mini-sodes that you won't see here anywhere else. You can also see tape studies. We'll talk with fighters about their matches. And we're starting to do a new segment where uh, people are roasting my competition footage because... Let's be honest, it's not it's not max level. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's pretty funny, and I think you guys can laugh at it. So we bring on a guest, they make fun of it, all that good jazz. And join our Discord, because we got a lot of conversations going on. I think that's going to do it for us here at the Grappling Hour today. It has been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats.